Interesting uh, things on the gridiron that happened this weekend, both college and pro. Good lord. Can't say I expected um, several of the results from this, this past weekend. But, hey, it's the NFL, and it's proven it doesn't make any freaking sense this year. So, why the heck not? Why wouldn't it... Why wouldn't it just continue between between a guy named Cooper Rush filling in for the injured Dak Prescott and leading the Cowboys to a win over the admittedly absolutely hapless Minnesota Vikings? Like, the Vikings are bad. It's, it's probably time for Zimmer to go, but man, what a freaking story. For, for Cooper Rush, this guy nobody really knows, to come in and, I mean, not have the best game. His completion percentage wasn't amazing, but he only threw one interception. He threw, t- threw t- two touchdown passes and, and threw for 325 yards. That's all you need a backup to do. Like, unless Prescott is out long term, which I don't think he will be. I don't think Prescott is out long term by by any, yeah. This was this was yesterday. This was Monday. Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott calf expected to be full go at Thursday's practice. So he's probably going to be back for next week. So if you have a one week backup situation going on, this is all you need him to do. And it it helps that you were going up against a pretty bad team in the Vikings. And Amari Cooper having a uh, having a pretty good game is uh, is not gonna hurt you by any stretch of the imagination. But like, what a big moment for him, dude! Maybe gets one shot to play in the NFL, and he goes out there and he he gets the win on the road for for his team. Like, big ups to him. That's not exactly easy. Even if you are the better team in every stretch of the imagination, winning on the road is not an easy thing to do. But just just none of this makes... Like, that's not that weird. The, the Cowboys beating the Vikings going into the season, you probably would have expected that one, even if even if Dak was injured, because they, they have talent at other positions. And uh, the Vikings' defense is kind of a joke but what is up with the Jets like they have two wins on the season exclusively against good teams they've beaten the Titans and the Bengals that's it they have exclusively beaten good teams the Panthers the Patriots the Broncos the Falcons 
the Patriots again. They lost to all of them. What's next? Do you tell me you're gonna, they're going to beat the Bills in two weeks? I I doubt that. I really don't think they're going to beat the Bills. But, <clears throat> hey, transitive property of football. They beat the Titans who beat the Bills. Hey, until they play each other, transitive property of football applies. Hey, they got, they, their two wins have come against teams with wins against the Chiefs. No, the Titans didn't beat the Chiefs, but the Bills, the Ravens, and I know the Bengals have beaten another good team. The Bengals have definitely beaten another... No, maybe not. No, the Bengals have not beaten another good team other than other than the Ravens. Who was who the Titans' other good win? Yeah, that's right. The Titans also beat the Chiefs. Yeah, so... The two Jets wins have come, have come against the teams who have beaten the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Ravens. Going into the season, probably the three teams considered most likely to come out of the AFC. That has changed over the course of the season. The I'd say the Bills and Ravens are still in about the same spot, but the, the Chiefs have dropped and been replaced by the Chargers as uh, that third team with the potential to come out of the AFC. I mean, the Chargers haven't looked amazing the past couple weeks, but they're still, like, they're still the Chargers. They're still pretty darn good. Like, they'll, they'll get it together, and they'll be fine. Like, right now, as it stands, my pick for AFC Championship game is still Bills Chargers. With, with the Bills winning. I'd like it to be Bills Ravens too, even if the Ravens lose, because that's uh, further than they've gotten in the Lamar Jackson era. It still wouldn't be enough for all the haters, but hey, it's uh, it's something. I I would take it. But um, Chiefs fans, Chiefs fans, I think it's time to panic. It is absolutely unequivocally time to time to panic. Like you just barely beat the giants at home. There were points in this game where the giants were winning again at Arrowhead. All right. Now there was no, there wasn't a point in this game where the giants were winning. There was a point in this game where it was tied. Actually, no, they 7 14 7 10 17 no there uh there was in fact a point in this game where the giants were winning and uh you had to kick you had to kick two field goals in the fourth quarter to win mahomes didn't win it for you and uh that passer rating that passer rating is not looking very good. Like Chiefs fans, I think it's time to force your quarterback to start making some pre-snap adjustments because uh, that's his big glaring weakness is that he does not make pre-snap adjustments and tries to rely on his freakish athleticism to bail him out of his bad reads. And defensives have figured that out, that if you could just get him to start running, 
and get him away from his primary option, a.k.a. Tyreek Hill, he's just going to chuck the ball in Tyreek Hill's direction anyway and hope for the best. And one thing and one thing only is going to happen. He's going to throw an interception. Like, that's just how it goes. He's he's going to end up throwing interceptions if you can get him to scramble and just chuck the ball in Tyreek Hill's general direction. Like, people have figured it out. I know people said that about Lamar Jackson every time he has a bad game, but maybe it's time to have that conversation about Patrick Mahomes. Because he's had a very bad year. And the Chiefs gave him a lot of money. And now he doesn't have an O-line. And the Chiefs won't be able to get him an O-line because they're paying him so much money. Mm-mm-mm. They might... They might not even make the playoffs. That would be hilarious. They, they're in third place in their division. They, uh... They might not make the playoffs out of the AFC. They're they're two spots behind the Steelers right now. Which, it's shocking to me that the Steelers are in a position to make the playoffs. But they've also had a relatively easy schedule so far. And the Browns are... And that win against Buffalo is still a complete and utter fluke. Like... They have just gotten very lucky with a pretty weak schedule. We'll we'll see how November treats them when they get the Chargers and the Bengals back-to-back, followed immediately by the Ravens. And then the Titans two weeks later. And then the Chiefs after that. I mean, I know I just ripped on the Chiefs for a few minutes, but they're still the Chiefs. And then they have the Browns and the Ravens in January. Uh, the Steelers schedule was very backloaded in terms of quality of competition. Like the Steelers schedule is very backloaded, but right now, as it stands, the AFC, the Titans are number one. The Raiders are two. The Ravens are three and the bills are four. I don't think that's how it's going to end up shaking out. I mean, the the Titans holding the tiebreaker over the Bills does make things interesting. But I think think Chargers still win the West. I think the the Bills win the East, no problem. North is going to come down to the Ravens and the Bengals. I never thought I'd say those two. Never thought I'd say that sentence out loud. Like, I expected it to come down between the Ravens and somebody else, probably from Ohio. But not the Bengals. I thought it would come down to the Ravens and the and the Browns. And both of those teams are making the playoffs, by the way. Like, Ravens and, like, the two teams who are fighting for the divisional win in the AFC North, like, loser gets number one wild card. Like, number one wild card could also go to the loser of the West. It's definitely not going to the loser of the South. Loser of the South is going to be firmly out of playoff position. (laughs) 
Because the team in second place in the South is the Colts, and they're they're five spots deep into no playoff territory. So they're, uh, at the midway point of the season, they're pretty much already kind of signed-sealed delivered out of the playoffs. And that's, that's actually a good segue into my thoughts on the midway point of the season. And, uh, let's just see how, how the predictions are looking. <laughs> Cause I know me and John made predictions at the beginning of the season or did we, I don't think we did. No, these are, these are from the beginning of the year. But I think if I recall, I said, uh, I said Ravens would probably win the North, which is currently in place to happen. I said the Titans would win the South. That's pretty much a lock. Uh, I said the Chiefs would win the West. That's wrong. They might not even make the playoffs. That, That goes to the Chargers and the Bills win the East. So most of the AFC, I was overall right. I was very wrong about the current state of the wild card. I thought, uh, I thought the wild card would be whoever lost the division between the Ravens and the Bills, the Chargers, and the Dolphins. Dolphins are one and seven. So uh, I was very wrong about them. And then... NFC, I was slightly better. I think I think I did have the Packers pegged to win the North. Uh, the I had the Bucks pegged to win the South. The West was a complete toss-up. I did have that wrong because I think I remember saying I had the Rams to win the West. Now that could still change because uh, they just traded for Von Miller. They got two, got two day two picks, a couple day two picks for Von Miller. How the heck did the Rams pull that off? And how dumb are the Broncos to let them do it? The 49ers have been injured to hell and back. So they're, they're not as good as I expected them to be. The Cardinals are way better than I expected them to be. Cause I figured their defense would eventually fail them. But, uh, they're still seven and one. So that's, uh, that, that's another wrong pick by me. But if to focus in and just look at my team, I am happy with five and two. The two losses are not to the teams. I would have expected them to be. I would have expected those two losses to, uh, be maybe the chiefs and the chargers at, uh, at this point. But, no, those two losses are the Raiders and the Bengals. And heck, like, like just look at the Ravens games against the AFC West because they have played the entire division at this point. If you had told me going into the season that the Ravens would be three and one against the AFC West with two blowout wins, a heart attack inducing win and a heartbreaking loss. I would have said the two blowouts came against the Broncos and the Raiders. The heart attack inducing win came against the Chargers. 
And the heartbreaking loss came against the Chiefs. That, um, I would have only gotten one of those right. The blowout win against the Broncos. That's it. That is the only one I would have correctly picked. I mean, I'm happy the heart attack inducing win was against the Chiefs because beating the Chiefs felt very good in the moment because it was week two and we didn't know how bad the Chiefs were going to be this year. <coughs> and everyone was all ready to just completely rip Lamar for not being a quarterback coming into that game. And uh, he led them to a win against uh, one of his demon teams. But overall, midway point of the season, I am I am happy with the Ravens' performance so far. And they they had a bye week, which they desperately needed. Got a couple guys coming back off IR. Not, not huge guys like J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards, but important enough guys. And uh, they get a home game against the Vikings coming off a bye week, which I would say they desperately needed. They, they've got three really easy games right in a row. Home against the Vikings, at the Dolphins, and at the Bears. They could win all three of those games very comfortably. The Browns game, that, that Sunday night game against the Browns at the end of the month will be a tough one. That will be a tough game. It's the only tough game I see in November. But, obviously, the big, new, the big story this week before the much more tragic big story that happened today... On, on Tuesday is the Rams trading for Von Miller. That's just, that's just gross. How the heck did the Broncos let them pull that off? They gave up Von Miller for next to nothing. How and why? Like, I know you traded, traded him out of the division and out of the conference, but why? Why would you trade one of the best defensive players in the league for next to nothing? I know you suck this year, but come on, you could get a better price than that for Von freaking Miller. God, the Broncos are dumb. But, of course, there, there is a, uh, a tragic side to uh, NFL news, and this is just caused by his own stupidity. I don't like to talk about stuff like this, but I do feel the need I have to. Henry Ruggs got busted for and charged with uh, DUI resulting in death after he got caught driving drunk in Vegas over the weekend and he killed one of the passengers of the car he hit. And now he's facing up to 20 years in jail. Which sucks for him and for the Raiders, but at the same time, it's his own fault. He's the one who decided to get drunk and then get in his car and drive. Like, maybe don't do that. Whether you're an NFL player or not, maybe don't do that. I know it was Halloween weekend and he lives in Vegas. Like, that almost makes it even less excusable. Like, it's already not. But the fact that you live in Vegas, and he was in Vegas when this happened... Like, you're in Vegas over Halloween weekend. There are resources for people who are too drunk to drive to get home. Most of them are free, which 
would not be a problem for Henry Ruggs. But still, most of them are in fact free. So he has zero excuse. And if he has to spend 20 years in jail, that's his own fault for being dumb. But uh, that's what I got for the NFL. I hate that it had to take a turn like this, but I, I do feel the need to talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, up next, we'll uh, get into the even worse or equally bad, however you want to... I, I don't like comparing tragedies, but the also incredibly awful news coming out of the NHL over the past week. I don't really like to talk about that either, but I kind of have to. That's all coming up next here on The Mashup. Hey, welcome back to The Mashup. And uh, the NHL is a complete and utter mess right now. And that's not good. That's um, it's, it's very, it's very not good. Because I, we all know about the mess with the Blackhawks and the complete and utter joke with which the league itself, the NHLPA, and the Blackhawks just straight on down have have all handled this. I'm I'm blanking on the guy's name. It was it was Kyle. Kyle Beach is is the guy. Yeah, he he came out last week as like he was he was the John Doe of that was suing the Blackhawks and my god, this uh this poor guy. Like he finally came forward and did an interview with TSN, for those who don't know, TSN is essentially just Canada's ESPN. Like, it's literally part-owned by ESPN and everything, and they have they have SportsCenter. Like, they are Canada's ESPN. He's the one who sued them back in May. And according to his allegations, Beach had complained to team leaders back in 2010 that video coach Brad Aldrich sexually assaulted him. Uh, upper management of the Blackhawks ignored his complaints until after the team won the Stanley Cup that season. On Tuesday, uh, which would be last Tuesday, an independent investigation confirmed Beach's claims. After the 107-page report was published, the team ousted two top officials who were there at the time of Beach's assault, Blackhawks GM Stan Bowman and... Senior Director of Hockey Operations, Al McIsaac. That's, um, that's not good. But again, if, if Stan Bowman and Al McIsaac knew and still work there for the past 11 years, that means a whole lot of other people knew, including Joel Quenville, who, uh, was able to coach the Panthers last Tuesday night and uh, was then, I think, uh, the Panthers did, uh, the Panthers did straight up fire him. 
I think I think they might have like tried to save face a little bit, like mutually parted ways. But we all know what happened. All of tw- all of hockey Twitter was in flames Tuesday night, saying, "Why the frick is Joel Quenville still coaching this game?" And I would one hundred percent agree with that sentiment. What? <laughs> Yeah, this is a uh, this is a absolute disaster. Beach said Aldrich threatened his place on the team and sexually assaulted him that night. Um, one, no video coach has that kind of authority, but that's still freaking grooming. Like this is this is just bad. In 2010, Beach, who was 20 years old, joined the Blackhawks as a black ace, a player added to the team's roster during a playoff run after the player's minor league season is over. The Blackhawks were in the midst of what would become a Stanley Cup run. Yeah, I remember that one. He said he was scared. He had his career threatened. He felt alone. John McDonough, executive... (sighs) President John McDonough, Executive Vice President Jay Blunk, Assistant GM Kevin Shevladov, and Head Coach Joel Quenville. The front office met and decided to avoid bad publicity as the team approached the playoffs. The team's leaders didn't make the allegations public or remove Aldrich from the team until well after the team won the Stanley Cup. And Aldrich's name is on the Stanley Cup from that 2010 team. The owners have said, hey, take his name off, but you clearly knew about this 11 years ago. So uh, maybe the time was to do it back then, because this clearly happened during their regular season. This happened before you even made the playoffs. Blackhawks intern. Oh, my God. This is a. This is a complete and utter disaster and and like the Blackhawks the Blackhawks are such freaking hypocrites in all of this because they said back in like June that they had conducted an internal investigation and had no interest in settling out of court which means they thought they would be cleared of any wrongdoing when the basically the entire front office knew about this and didn't do a damn thing. This this is a very bad look for the Blackhawks. This is a bad look for hockey in general. And and earlier earlier in the day Tuesday because of course not. They, because of course it would just get worse. Now, the Penguins have their own sexual assault scandal that just came to light. New lawsuit. This one, this one is not a former player. This one is, this one is the wife of the former head coach of the Penguins AHL team. Also the Penguins, just the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. 
Yeah. Uh, Aaron Scaldi, wife of professional hockey coach to file sexual assault lawsuit against uh, fellow coach Clark Donatelli, Bill Guerin, Pittsburgh Penguins organization, owner Mario Lemieux, and others. If Mario Lemieux knew about this and didn't do anything, according to the lawsuit, he... He fired, he fired the wrong guy. Cause, uh, Jared Scaldi is the former coach's name. And I'm, I'm sorry if I, uh, botched his last name. It's spelled S-K-A-L-D-E. So I assume that's Scaldi. But Jared got fired. No one, Aaron herself was not interviewed as part of the team's quote unquote investigation. Additionally, the Penguins organization has made public comments that show an utter disregard for the experience of a sexual assault victim and have traumatized her multiple times. Good job, guys. Like, that, that, if, like, anyone know about, knowing about this and doing nothing is bad, but Mario Lemieux knowing about this and doing, not only doing nothing, but trying to cover it up. That's like, congratulations, Mario. Your reputation's about to go down the toilet. I mean, that's the least of what you deserve. If even half of that report is true. Oh, you know, just the, the guy considered to be the second best player of all time runs an absolute dumpster fire of an organization like this that would try to cover something like that up. Like th this poor woman was assaulted by one of her husband's coworkers and the team has just tried to cover it up for the past three years. Like the floodgates are about to open because once two come forward, there's going to be a lot more. And like, at this point, I will not be surprised what team it comes from. It could come from anywhere. And, like, I'll call them all out equally, even if it's the Flyers. I will, I will all call them out equally, even if it is my own team. I hope I don't have to call out any more teams about this. But we know hockey is anyone who follows hockey knows hockey is a bit of a boys club, especially at that management level, both the management of the league itself and the individual franchises. It's very much an old boys club. Like there's a lot of old dudes who have been in these jobs for very long times and just kind of refuse to give them up and will do whatever and cover up whatever it takes to protect each other. One first step completely blow up the front office of both the NHL and the NHLPA. Like scrap both of them and start over. Like Batman probably should have been gone in 2013 after the last lockout. Cause when you oversee three, when you are directly responsible for three lockouts in less than 20 years, 
you are um, one of which canceled the entire season. You're not a great commissioner, even without all this. Now, knowing that the league itself has basically been aiding and abetting covering up sexual assault on multiple different fronts. Like, blow it all up. Blow it all up and start over. And, like, it took them way too long, but the Blackhawks have finally done the right thing and kicked Bowman to the curb. Kicked Bowman and McIsaac to the curb. The Panthers did fire Quenville. But still, like... Joe Quenville's name is on the Stanley Cup multiple times over. Like, sure, they're taking they they asked the Hall of Fame to take Aldrich's name off, but what about the rest of the team? Because you could go back. There are some pictures that have made their way around the internet. Locker room before Game Six, the game where the Blackhawks eventually did clinch the Stanley Cup. You had, they had the, the board with the Flyers starting lineup on it. And the one name you could see was Chris Pronger, a defenseman for the Flyers at the time. He, he became captain, uh, a year and a half later, basically. He, he became captain a little over a year later. So it's obvious who this was referring to. It's just Pronger is gay. Like, that's an incredibly juvenile joke, but clearly, like, that that's a juvenile is all hell joke. I get it. But when you learn the stories of this and that Kyle Beach was dealing with, like, homophobic slurs from his teammates, possibly including Captain Jonathan Taves... Like, the night that this all came out, the Blackhawks played the Maple Leafs, and Wayne Simmons just absolutely drilled Jonathan Taves in what most people would say is a hit that should not be in hockey anymore. And all of the replies were, normally I'm against hits like this, but tonight, but for but for this one exact instance, I will make the exception. Like, how quickly public opinion turned on Jonathan Taves... <laughs> I mean, people kind of knew Patrick Kane was a bit of a douchebag, but the entire team, because clearly they all knew that there's no way they all didn't know. So yeah, that's, that's my take on this at the absolute minimum, completely blow up the management levels of both the NHL and the NHLPA because they are both to blame here. Because, like, the NHLPA has done absolutely nothing. And they're one of the, I'd say, one of the more powerful players' unions. They're not as strong as baseballs or basketballs. They're they're a firm third in terms of strength of players' union. But they have done absolutely nothing in this situation. And they deserve a share of the blame. So blow them up, blow the NHL up. Batman needs to resign like tomorrow. Like 
Batman needs to resign as soon as possible. Because this is the worst occurrence in a long string of bad things that hap- have happened in his term as commissioner. This is this is by far the worst. Like, work stoppages compared to this, not a huge deal. They're not good. But, like, this is so much worse. And it just adds on top of his already ineffective track record as commissioner. So time for Batman to step down. That's that. It, that it, if you take nothing else away from this segment, Gary Batman, it's time for you to step down. Heck, Bill Daly, you too. Just like the entire organization level of both the NHL and the NHLPA. Just start over. Because hockey's culture is rotten to the core when it comes to stuff like this, and it's time to fix it. But that's what I got for this unfortunate disaster in the NHL. Like, and prayers going out to Kyle Beach for and Aaron Scaldi and both of their entire families for like these guys, these two being able to come forward and say, "Hey, this happened to me," and the people responsible should be held accountable. Like, props to both of you. My heart goes out. My heart goes out to both of you and any of the other victims who I'm sure are out there that haven't come forward yet. But that's what I got for for this unfortunate chapter in the NHL's history. Up next, uh, I hate to do such a tone shift, but we'll, uh, we'll get into League of Legends and wrap up the show. That's all coming up next here on The Mashup. And we're back. All right. Let's uh, let's change up the tone a little bit. Try to end the show on a more positive note. World's Finals is upon us. And the semifinal, the first semifinal anyway, brought what is probably going to end up being the best series of the entire tournament. Because look at the field of who made it into knockouts. Damwon was the clear favorite. And their only co- their only true competition was T1. And uh, what do you know? That is exactly what happened. T1 was the only team to beat Dom Juan so far in a single game this entire tournament because they 6-0 groups. And uh, they managed to take two games off Dom Juan, which could be the only games they lose at all of worlds because they're just, they're just the best team in the world. Like that series was incredible. Mostly because of Faker. Like Faker versus Showmaker is a storyline in and of itself. That is probably worthy of the finals, but the bracket didn't shake out that way. They ended up on the same side. So they had to have the much less interesting first semifinal spot. And we still got an absolute banger of a series where everyone kind of knew winner of that wins the whole thing. Because, like, if T1 does win that series, if they pull off a miracle in game five, and they they played deep, 
Dom Juan tough in game five. If they pull that game off, if they pull off that miracle and go to finals instead of Dom Juan, you really think Faker is going to be denied in finals again? He's Faker. You really think that man is going to let himself be denied in finals again? The answer to that question is a big fat no. There's no way that happens. But like everyone knew winner of that series wins the whole thing. And there were a couple games that were absolute stomps in favor of Don Juan. I think uh, one of the games, I think the kill total final was, was 13 one in Don Juan's favor. And I think the one kill shockingly went to Faker, if I recall. Or it was either Faker or Owner. It was it was one of the two of them, because Kana had an absolutely terrible series. Both top laners weren't great, but Kana was not good. I get it, he's young. This is his first time on the big stage. Really, same with everyone else on that team that isn't Faker. Like, every single other person on that team, other than Faker, is super young. Like, Kiera, Owner, Gumayushi, Kana, they are all very young. And then Faker is, you know, the GOAT. Like, the best player ever. They stomped on with life. We knew that was coming. But then... Then they ran into Dom Juan, and the only way to describe that game is uh, Faker passed the torch. Because in a couple of those games where they were both on comfort picks, where Faker was on rise, you know, one of his, I would say one of his most iconic champions, I'd say his, I'd say his number one is Shen just because of, you know, his burst onto the scene moment. Look at the cleanse. Look at the moves. Faker. What was that? Was on Shen. I'd say Shen's up there. Rise is obviously way up there for him because I mean, he's rise in the rise music video. And I think he was, who was he in? uh, Who was he in Phoenix? I don't remember who he was in the Phoenix music video, but I don't think it was Aurelia. It was somebody. And I know his I know his LeBlanc is way up there too. And of course of course his Oriana, Faker Shockwave will find them all. But like he was on one of his comfort picks and Showmaker just destroyed him. I mean Showmaker was on a comfort pick of his own. And he is the heir apparent to Faker's crown as the king of the LCK and by extension, the king of League of Legends because the LPL has not had a great showing this year. I know EDG made finals, but that series against Gen G really should not have been a series because Gen G is just a less good version of Dom Juan and T1. That should not have been a series against EDG. And of course, the rest of the LPL, RNG, 
did not impress me at all. LNG really didn't. And of course, the big one. Fun plus Phoenix. <laughs> the world champions from two years ago completely bombed out of groups. Including multiple losses to Rogue on the same day. And Rogue was not playing... Look back, Rogue was not playing well in the first half of groups. But here we are. We have... We are a few days away from the world's finals. I don't think there's going to be a crowd this year because they would have announced it by now, which means this world's final will be significantly less interesting. And I'm, I'm sick of games in Iceland. Iceland is... I, I, I've checked my metrics. I don't think I have any listeners there. Iceland is freaking boring because it's really small and it's really cold. But hopefully this will be the last time Riot just chickens out and uh, doesn't have a crowd for one of their premiere events. I mean, I know, I know Valorant Worlds next month will also probably not have a crowd because Germany. But maybe MSI, like, if we have to wait until MSI next year to have to have crowds at a Premier Riot event, like, it'd either be, it'd either be MSI or the first Valorant Masters tournament next year. It's one or the other. I hope they both do. But you never really know with Riot and all the international travel restrictions and given where some given some of the countries these teams are coming from might be difficult, but that is a conversation for months from now. This series, I think, I think it's done and dusted in Damwon's favor. I think much like last year with, um, who was it? I don't even remember who the other team was last year. They were going up against Damwon, and they took a game off of Damwon, which uh, made finals more interesting than it's been the past couple of years, but not by much, because Damwon still kind of smoked them in the other games. And I think that is uh, exactly what's going to happen this year, where EDG might take a game off of Damwon, but for the most part... This this one is going in Damwon's favor. They're going back to back. Like Showmaker already has had the torch passed to him. And like he wants Faker's crown. Which means he's gotta win three world championships. You gotta win two before you can win three. And this is this is gonna be number two for Showmaker. And I know Khan wants to ride off into the sunset too, because this is his actual last year. He He's retiring after finals, win or lose. So I know, I know Khan wants to go out with a win. Koma's already beaten his old team, which is insane that him, it's still insane to me that him and Faker actually did split up and are not working on the same teams anymore. But that's that's how it goes sometimes. But if I had to if I had to make a game by game prediction right now, Damwon wins game 1. They win game 1 comfortably. 
EDG makes some adjustments and they're able to catch Domlon off guard a little bit in the early game. And if you can keep up with Domlon in the early game, you stand a chance. If you let them snowball, you're screwed. Because <laughs> they're one of the best team fight. They're the best team in the world. Their team fighting is top tier. Heck, their laning is top tier. Their objective control, their map control, everything about their macro and micro game is the best in the world. They are the best team in the world by leaps and bounds. But you can take a game off of them. It's not, it's not like the SKT dynasty where you know you're going to lose to them and you know you're probably going to get swept. Like, just because of stylistic differences between Damwon and EDG. And EDG just got done playing Gen G, who are a lesser version of Damwon that just play a lot slower. Like, just use a slightly more aggressive version of the same strategy you use to beat Gen G. You can take a game off of Damwon with that. You're not going to win the series. But you will be able to successfully take a game off of them. And then, but then, game two, I'm, I'm given to EDG just to make things interesting. Put Damwon on the back foot a little bit. And then they come. Then, game three is a win in their favor where it's not as much of a stomp as game one. But it's still like, okay, these guys are the best team in the world. And then... Game four. Game four is going to look similar to uh, game four against T1. Where the best team in the world flexes their muscles on an inferior opponent. And it's, we it's weird to call T1 an inferior opponent, but go back and watch Dom1 versus T1 game four. That is exactly what is happening. They made T1 look like CLG. Like, I don't think CLG would have been any worse against Damwon than T1 was in that game. That's how bad T1 looked. And that's how dominant DK were. Yeah, game four of this series is going to look a lot like game four of the team of the semifinal where the best team in the world just goes out there and flexes their muscles, Superman style and crushes their opponent <laughs> under their strong and mighty feet. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of years in the league of legends esports scene, because right now, it's very clear that Korea are attempting mostly successfully to reassert their absolute dominance on the international stage of League of Legends. Because we found the heir apparent to Faker. Dom Juan has aspirations to take T1's mantle. And the LPL is about to drop off real hard. And I'd say just the next two to three years. 
because Korean players are only getting better. They're not going to... The LCK is franchised now, so those contracts are only going to keep going up. Same with the LCS and the LEC. So if guys uh, who maybe can't play in Korea anymore, but are still more than capable of playing at a high level, but can't you know play in Korea anymore, they're probably not going to go to the LPL for much longer. Because... You know, China kind of sucks. They're they're going to go to the LCS and the LEC. Like that's that's what's going to happen. And then some of the lower tier guys, they might go play in the LJL. The LGL has had a the LJL had a great run this year. Like sure they they owe sixth in groups, but they made it to groups. Like. The LJL could really start to take a turn to improve if they start picking up some maybe second tier LCK players that maybe aren't good enough to hang with the showmakers and the fakers and the other really good players of the LCK, but would be all-stars in the LJL. And it's closer to home than California is. You might not make as much money as you would in the LCS, but you would absolutely dominate and expectations wouldn't be as high. But the LPL is about to take a dip. They still got a few more years because they still have a decent amount of talent in the pipeline, but with this whole Chinese government's ban on uh, teenagers, basically, or anyone under the age of 18 playing video games outside of three very specific hours a week. I think it's like, I think it's like eight to 9 PM on Friday, Saturday on weekends. So literally three hours a week. Chinese culture sucks. I will come out and say that right here and right now. Chinese culture and the government freaking suck. No one should idolize working that hard. You will burn yourself out and hate your life. Just just PSA to all my listeners. Don't try to live like they do. It is not healthy for you. You will hate your life. And your body will hate you too. But the LPL talent pipeline is about to get sucked very dry and it's exclusively their own fault so and with some of the rumors of what LEC teams are doing the LCK and the LEC are going to be the best two regions on the world stage within the next three years Within the next two to three years, Korea and Europe will be the best two regions in the world. If, and if the LCS can capitalize on this, we could become the third best region. I know that sounds insane given our performance at Worlds this year, but China's wasn't much better and they're about to get worse. 
if we do it right, we could become the third best region. I know that is an N.A. pipe dream, but I'm putting it out there. and Maybe it'll happen. Maybe we could become the third best region in the world. And actually do something internationally. Because the last time a, a North American team made a run at an international event, it was MSI 2019 and Team Liquid got smacked around in finals. Fastest international best of five in the history of League of Legends esports. That was the last time a North American team won a best of five at an international tournament. They made it out of MSI groups. Shockingly won that series <laughs> against, against IG. And, uh, and then ended up getting absolutely crapped on by G2. But maybe... Maybe things will turn for the better for NA in the next couple years with China dropping off. What do you guys think? Let me know on Twitter. Let me know on Discord. Links will be in the show description. But that's all I got for today. And uh, to the Call of Duty players, I know they're, I know I didn't actually talk about Call of Duty, but it is Vanguard launch week. So happy Vanguard week to all my fellow COD players out there. Outside of uh, what I'm working on Saturday, I will be playing pretty much all weekend long. So uh, come by the stream and hang out. I'll probably, I might end up working a, uh, a campaign playthrough onto YouTube as well. So keep an eye out for that. But yeah, happy Vanguard week and uh, happy Worlds week. And uh, to everyone else, talk to you guys next Wednesday. See you then.